0: We're going to jump ahead. You ladies who are studying through the book of Ephesians, we're going to go there temporarily tonight. Because the fact of the matter is, in our study here in Joshua, it's really not the people of Jericho that are the threat to Israel. It's the power behind the people of Jericho, the kings of the land. The kings of the Canaanites, the kings of the Jebusites, and the Amorites, the Edomites, all these people that Israel will face in the land. And the reason this is so important is the battle that Israel will fight, that we'll see as we journey through the book of Joshua, is still being fought today. Because there's a promised land for you, there's a promised land for me, There's a promised land for us, there is a land to be conquered, there is a land to be claimed, but it is not going to be a playground, it is going to be a battleground. Your life will also be a life of conquest. And we're going to look at that battle tonight, that conquest tonight, what is really going on As we live out our lives, as the children of Israel entered into the land, what was the enemy that they actually faced? What was going on? And consequently, what's going on with you, with what you face, with what we face? And so would you join me? We'll pray, and we'll take just verses 10 to 13 here in Ephesians 6, and your adversary, spiritual warfare. Father, thank you. Lord, for the incredible blessing that we have of being able to study your word, that it's available to us, that you, by the Holy Spirit, authored these words through the Apostle Paul nearly 2,000 years ago. And Lord, the words that are contained here were not Paul's words, they were your words, and they're words for us tonight. They are just as true tonight. As they were then, had you instructed the children of Israel in what was going on behind the scenes, which we're sure you did through prayer and by the Holy Spirit, they would have heard these words as well. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to your church. Make us alive for the battle. Lord, cause us to battle correctly. Let's not fight each other, but rather fight the enemy who is against us. Pray that you bless us as we study. We give you this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Notice verse 10 begins in a rather unusual way, finally. Now if you study the book of Ephesians, as you ladies are on Tuesdays, the consistent theme in the book of Ephesians is our incredible riches that we possess in Christ Jesus, Beyond our imagining spiritually, are we spiritually blessed? Are we enriched by the Lord? God who is rich in mercy, wherein he first loved us. That's the story of the book of Ephesians. But notice how the Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, brings a conclusion to this amazing book that is Principally about blessings. Finally, my brethren, brothers and sisters, family of God, children of God, church, another way that you can look at that word, church universal. Be strong in the pastor, be strong in yourself. Be strong in trusting your intellect. Be strong in making sure that you have weapons in your home. We could put all kinds of stuff into this sentence, and there's not another word that fits there. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, this world, which he currently has a large measure of control over, and even your own flesh, is going to try and rip off those blessings that you have in Christ. Going to try and steal what you have promised to you in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of Jeff. Now again, I'm emphasizing this for a reason. Because you can say, well, I'm strong in the Lord. But whose power do you then rest in? We're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not your might, not my might, not the church's might, in the power of the Lord's might, his mightiness. This is one of the most definitive statements made in the entire Bible about who you should be leaning on tonight, who you should be resting in and trusting in, who you should have your hope in. Probably many of you have been tracking what's going on in, with Russia and the Ukraine and you all know, these troops that are massed in Belarus and Crimea and all these things. And today, the United States and France and Italy sent three carrier battle groups into the Mediterranean as a show of force. Pretty impressive, a single aircraft carrier, at least the U.S. Nimitz-class aircraft carriers, have some pretty substantial firepower. There are 5,000 men, when you include the air wing that's on there, on an aircraft carrier. They have the capacity of, a, of an air base. It's a floating air base at sea. They can wage war at a very long distance. They can defend themselves really well. It doesn't say be strong in the power of the might of the United States Navy, does it? As mighty as the United States Navy is in a military sense, Because there's not an army on this earth. It wasn't Jericho, and it's not Russia. It's mightier than the Lord. The problem is sometimes that we have the wrong enemy in view. Often we start to think that it's each other. That the problem is people... And that the people are just simply ill informed or on the wrong side. No, they're actually being motivated by a real enemy, and the real enemy is clearly defined in Scripture. Verse 10 again finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of, again, God, not body armor. Not military armor, not political armor, not intellectual armor. And again, there's a place for every last one of those things. But the war that's in view here is the real war. And the tools to fight it are going to be spiritual tools. They're not carnal tools. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, here it is, the wiles of the devil. Notice it doesn't say your neighbor, doesn't say your spouse, doesn't say your country, doesn't say a political party, doesn't say a foreign government. It says that the issue here, when it comes down to us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, is there is a real battle against a real enemy, and you need to really have the right weapons if you're going to be successful in that battle. Against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, the battle isn't against humankind. It's not just simply people who are on the wrong side of a particular political agenda. It isn't someone who dislikes you. There is a real enemy That enemy is what is motivating those people who appear to be the enemy. The Muslim world is not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. People are simply either on one side or the other side. Exactly as Jesus said, you are either for me or you are against me. That me being Him, Jesus. That's the issue. The reason there's evil in the world? The enemy. There's reason the reason that there's false ideologies, the enemy. The reason there's cults? The enemy. The reason there's false religions? The enemy. The reason there's rogue governments, the enemy. And we could go on and on and on, no matter what you pick. The reason there are child molesters, the enemy. The reason there are murderers, the enemy. You're on one side or the other, and if you join the enemy, then you will be on his side and you will do his things. doesn't mean that Christians are perfect, but without the influence of the Holy Spirit, the life of the believer, then you are stuck with the one whom you already serve, because you are already, just exactly as Ephesians says, you are already a slave to sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he hath made you alive, and until you're made alive, you're on the enemy's team. Now, you may not play a huge part. You may not even think that you're on the enemy's team. You might not think of an entire government or a system of government Being actually stimulated by the devil, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible says that is exactly the case. Racism, I'm going to say something, is not a racial problem, it's a devil problem. It's from the pit of hell. The enemy would love that we hate one another for the color of our skin. That's not from the Lord. The Lord created all of us, every last one of us, every tribe, tongue, and nation, every color was made in His image. By Him and for Him were those that were made made. We're not supposed to hate anybody, especially not for something that is out of someone else's control. The enemy stimulates people to think that way. It's demonic. If you actually look at what's going on in our country, you can see it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. The rulers of the darkness of this age... Every age has had the devil's darkness, but each age has its own version of the devil's darkness. But you know what's really interesting? The basic types of darkness have remained the same throughout human history. It's why the Ten Commandments are still valid today. The same things that plagued Adam and Eve plague us today, don't they? Do you think people are covetous today? Do you think they steal people's spouses today? Do you think they're greedy for money today? Do you think they hate their neighbor today? Jesus answered, who's my neighbor? Absolutely everybody. Everybody. But behind the scenes is a real enemy who really hates Jesus And consequently hates anybody who stands for Jesus. Spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Behind the world that we see is a world we can't. And just as there are angels, so there are demons. Just as there is a heavenly host of righteousness... So there is a heavenly host of unrighteousness. And that battle is being waged now. Still going on. That's what surfaces itself in the conflicts that are in humankind. That's what's going on. The devil's back there, yeah, I hate him. Steal his stuff. Rip him off. Lie about him. Cheat. Gossip. Enemy loves it. Why? Because he can get us to destroy ourselves. He doesn't have to do much if we do it for him. Amen? And therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in an evil day. If you haven't put on the armor of God when you know that the battle is already raging, then expect that you're not going to be horribly successful when you get caught up in the battle. Because here's a fun fact about armor. Once the battle starts... It's really hard to put it on, isn't it? Think about that in the context of actual armor during, say, the Middle Ages. Imagine showing up on the battlefield, hey, wait a minute, don't use your sword on me, I gotta put my armor on. Anybody want to take a stab at how long it took to put on armor back in the Middle Ages? Anywhere between two and three hours because you had to dress in leather garments and then you had to put on individual pieces and chain mail and all these things. That's why they had a squire. A squire traveled with a knight. The squire was responsible for bearing the armor and helping someone put the armor on and then adjusting the pieces so they were all in the right place. And so the picture is very clear here. If you go out into this world without your armor on, before you know it, you'll already be dead before you figure out you even need the armor. And so you're encouraged to put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to withstand in the evil day. Notice it's not the other way around. When the evil day comes, then make sure you know where your armor's at so you can go get it. No, the church should be armored up all day, every day. Praise God, you don't need to be running around in actual armor. That would kind of get a little hot, a little stuffy, a little clanky, and it wouldn't be all that fun. But the armor here is spiritual armor. Protecting your head, your heart, your hands, your very being, empowered by the word. Like it or not, we face a real enemy. That enemy is a triunity of evil, just as God is in three persons a triunity of righteousness. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? In our case, our enemy is also triune, it's the world. It literally is the world system. When we say world, what we really mean is the world system. Matter of fact, the Bible in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation actually describes this as Babylon the Great. This system that includes political systems, court systems, monetary systems, religious systems. There is literally a system that currently is governed by the enemy. And you're saying, well, isn't God sovereign? Yes, he is, and we'll get to that in a minute. But right now, Satan has limited ability to govern this world. Given to him by God, by the way. He's been given reign just as he was in Job's life. It was up to Job what Job was going to do with what God allowed Satan to do. The superior power will always be in God's hand. But the enemy has the ability to inflict a lot of pain through the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those First John components of what this world is actually made of. And if you can't see that, look at how your body responds, your natural body, innate within you. Your own ability to understand and to reason can be turned against you, can't it? Why? Because the world around you knows exactly how to feed you what you need to be fed. Are any of you stunned that your social media accounts actually know what ads you want to see? You figured that one out yet? Have you noticed that when you fire your computer up that your web browser automatically opens to pages that are like the searches that you have recently done? There is a system behind absolutely everything and it is not intended for your good. It's intended to draw you away. The enemy's got his fingers in it. And he would love to tempt you with those things. So there is a world that is against you. Your own flesh is against you. Any of you ever, go ahead and raise your hand. Any of you ever thought something you shouldn't think? Duh, that's your flesh. You've probably felt things you shouldn't feel. You've had emotions towards people that are wrong, they're incorrect. Your flesh is not perfect, it's still subject to temptation. You actually have a mind that is made out of meat. It's made out of, that's why we call it, when you say someone is carnal, it comes from the root word carne, which is the Spanish word for meat. Amen? It's actually also Latin. Carne, you have a carnal nature. You're made out of flesh, and that flesh can be stimulated. So part of the triunity of evil is actually inherent, get this, within you. You're actually part of the problem at times. You can see this real easily because you think things you shouldn't think. You covet things you shouldn't have. You think about things that aren't yours, that you want to obtain. That's why the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's goods. Amen? Why? Because inside of you, there's that dissatisfaction with what you already have. That's your carne. It's your carnal nature. And then thirdly, and here he comes, the devil himself. You actually have, behind the scenes, a real and absolute enemy called the devil. And you need to know who he is. There is a commander of the enemy forces. You, you may not like to think about this. One of the interesting things about our military, you know, we often look at the military and we think of all the technology and all of the missiles and aircraft and ships and everything else that we possess and deploy around the world trying to bring peace to difficult situations we think of those things and we say well the, the the you know we have this mighty military presence but it's interesting because a vast majority of our military budget is spent on intelligence isn't it a little more than 30% actually So when you think about what our military does, were it not for the intelligence, were it not for the satellites, were it not for the global positioning systems that allow us to track things all over the world, were it not for the guidance systems that tell those missiles where to actually go, if it weren't for the intelligence, all of that weaponry would be pretty much useless on a modern battlefield. The same is true in spiritual warfare. You need to have really good intelligence about what the enemy is doing to you. What he wants to do, what his game plan is, where his troops are, what he is attempting to accomplish. And in order to do that, we can see some of those things through who he actually is and how he's named. The word devil actually just simply means accuser. Isn't that interesting? How much conflict do you think happens in the world because of one very simple thing? Someone accused someone else of something. Anybody think that might be a problem with our world? El Diablo's behind that. He's the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to speak lies. That's why when you gossip you are helping the devil that's why when you slander you are helping the devil that's why when you're a talebearer you're helping the devil that's why when you bring false accusation you're helping the devil you get the picture why because the basis of those things is accusation it's why i hate i loathe i despise these christian blogs that think their sole mission is to destroy people. They're evil. Let's call them what they are. They're evil. They're gossip. If you were to leave it to those people to walk up to somebody and make that accusation directly to them, as Matthew 18 says they should, they would never say those things. But because they can hide behind a blog... Because they can post anything they want on the internet. They think they're doing the world a favor. No, they're actually helping the devil. Why? Because it creates division. It creates strife. It causes enmity between brothers and sisters. It solves nothing. They say they're doing the Lord's work. But they're actually doing the devil's work. It is not helpful. They may even have truth on there. But truth without love is a weapon that only destroys. You have to have those two things together. It's why they are together. In the book of Ephesians, by the way, speak ye therefore the truth in love. You can't just go around exposing your brother's underside, your sister's underside. The deep things. Galatians 6.1 says, You who are spiritual, if you find your brother in a fault, you restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted in the same manner. Does it not? How many people get destroyed? by the, You're helping the devil. That's his trait. He's an accuser. If you have an accusation. The Bible tells you a very specific step to take. Go to your brother, and between you and your brother alone, be resolved in that issue so that your brother can be restored. Doesn't say destroy their character. Second step, take two witnesses so that out of the mouth of two witnesses, all things might be established. You think that happens in the blogs? It certainly does not. What you have is a bunch of fools who follow the guy that's being used by the devil who then repeat and parrot the same words and they haven't even talked to the person they're talking about. So nothing's been established. The third step, take it to the church. Matthew 18, just read the end of the chapter. You'll find all the steps And then you treat that brother as if he's not a brother if you can't get it resolved that way. Don't help the devil because his chief tool is slander. That's what he does. He's also Satan, an adversary. That word is interesting because it literally means enemy, he's God's enemy. He's the arch enemy. Anything that God's for, the devil's against. And a third thing, to think about him correctly, the Hebrew word abaddon or apollyon uh, in Greek actually means to be a destroyer. So now you can see how the devil works. He's a lying accuser. He's a real adversary. And his sole goal is to destroy. So when you need to use things that are destructive, devil, slander, accusation, devil, lies, devil, you get the the point? I can't tell you how many Christians have fallen into the trap of thinking that if you slander somebody enough, somehow you're going to do God's will in doing that. You will never accomplish God's will by using the devil's tools. Ever. You have to know your enemy. There's a part two to this. And I want to blast through this fairly quickly. Here's some other things he is. He's a tempter. Matthew 4.3. In other words, when you're using things that are not of God to tempt someone else, how about sex? So, when someone comes to me, well, you know, we're in a committed relationship. Tempter, murderer. Jesus said if you hate your brother in your heart, you have murdered him. Because the first step to murder is hatred. So, when you're hating people for any reason, not of the Lord. Of the devil. How about the father of all lies? So if it's not true, it's also not new. That's what the devil's been doing since day one. That's what he did in the garden. Oh, surely God didn't say that. He's just trying to keep you from eating. The moment you're going to be like him if you eat of that fruit, he's been a liar from the beginning. So if you need to lie about it, you're helping the devil. He's been compared to a raging lion there in 1 Peter. When someone gets destroyed and devoured, it is not of God. It's not of God. If you've got to destroy someone to get your point across, it's not of God. Someplace along the line, truth didn't get mixed with love and it turns into destruction. Raging lion. A serpent, a snake. You know one of the interesting things about snakes? Is they can go places most other animals can't. The Bible uses the phrase we saw it here, the wiles of the devil. He can squeeze into any hole. You give the enemy an inch, he can get in. Did you know that if a snake can get his head into it, he can get into it no matter how big his body is? And that's pretty much true in herpetology in general. If a snake can get his head, and they have a jaw that can be detached so that they can move their jaws around and put one half to one side and the other half to the other side, if they can get their head in, they can get in. Why do you think he's called a serpent? You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. He's crafty. He can squeeze in places you wouldn't think he could even go. Here's one for you. The devil's called an angel of light. In other words, he mimics God. There is no one on this planet that speaks Christianese as good as the devil. Nobody. Hey, bro. Hallelujah, man. Oh, we love Jesus, too. See our name tag? We're the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints. Angel of light. Fake Jesus. How about the God of this age? These are all names for the devil. Anybody know of any false gods that are kind of popular like right now? Like education? Education? Again, I'm pro-education, by the way. I want to make that really clear. Matter of fact, I think the more of it you have, generally it's a good thing. But you think people get too smart for God? Yeah, we call them agnostics. They become too intelligent. Sometimes they become atheists. That means they actually deny God. But there are a lot more agnostics in our world than there are atheists. People, wow, well, you know, I figured that out a long time You know, goo to you, monkey to man, don't need God anymore. God of this age. Truth is, he's actually a fallen angel. Satan is a created being, he is not eternal, and he has a lifespan. It's not going to be forever. The Bible gives us his end. One day, Jesus is going to grab him by his scruffy neck, wrap a chain around him, and toss him into the pit, and he ain't never coming out. Amen? He's not God. Too many Christians treat the devil like he's God's equal. He's not God's equal. He's actually a defeated foe. He's a powerful foe. But he's a defeated foe. He's nothing more ultimately than a fallen angel. Some people treat the devil like he's, you know, like he, honestly, like he's a, some kind of Disney cartoon. It's like that dude. It's like, oh, the devil. No, he's actually, Daniel Craig is not the devil, by the way. He's a good looking guy, like the Red Range Rover. That's how I expect the devil to look one day. When the Antichrist actually rises, the embodiment of evil, I think he's going to be a good-looking guy. Powerful, politically savvy, intellectual, very capable, likely wealthy. I think he's, that's more the devil than that. The devil wants to trick you into that he has all the good stuff. He's got the wealth, and he's got the power, and he's got the car, and he's got everything you could ever want. In that sense, he's much more GQ than he is Disney. Don't be foolish. The devil is not A Disney character to be trifled with. He is really the embodiment of evil, and he knows exactly how to hide it so you can't see it. The devil's not going to walk up to anyone, and just so you know, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, he can't be all places at all times. He is an individual, he can be one place at one time, but he's got a whole bunch of friends. And the reason I say that is you're probably not going to have Hi, I'm the devil. I'd like to talk to you today. Have you considered abandoning Christ? No, actually it's probably going to come as some grave temptation that your soul already has a longing for. Something that's deep-seated within you, something that's on your heart, something that may even seem right something that may even seem to you fair and just, it's going to, I deserve that Range Rover. And the enemy's going to be behind it with his hooks. Don't be fooled, church. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. This is the fall of Satan described. O Lucifer, how you are fallen from heaven. Lucifer began as a cherub, the highest order of angel. When the angels were created, he was amongst them. The cherub actually were the worship leaders of heaven, if you want to look at it that way. They were in charge of the heavenly worship. And so here's one among them, created like all the other angels, But because angels are created and they have what we would call a free will, or at least in the sense, a will of their own. Notice how Lucifer, a created being, who is also same Satan, the devil, the lion, all of them, son of the morning, how you're cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, there it is. You're told directly that the devil's behind the weakening of political structures in our world. The nations. He's the one that causes wars. It may, it may be Putin that is you know, stimulating the troops ultimately to, to invade Ukraine. But make no mistake, the devil's behind the scenes going, this will be great bloodshed. Ethnic cleansing. You know, strangely and oddly, Satan got into Hitler's mind so much so that Hitler believed he was doing the will of God. The Lutheran church helped him. And again, that doesn't mean at all Lutherans. I know I have a ton of Lutheran friends. Love the Lord. Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran church, it was his theology that hated Jews that Hitler latched on to. You see how that deception can work? And before you know it, the world is in conflict. You have political, you who weakened the nations. For you've said in your heart, here it comes, Here's the heart cry of the most powerful being that the world has ever known. Besides God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you who weaken the nations for you have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. There are five statements here. All of them begin with the same exact phrase, I will, I will, I will. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, of all of the elect of God, of all of the great beings that follow God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. In other words, I want to be the head of the church on the farthest sides of the north. Wherever God can go, I am going to go there. And I'm going to wreak havoc I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. And here's God's response through the prophet Isaiah. Verified in the book of Revelation, by the way, it ends with this story, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the abode of the dead, to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan says, thanks for the mind, Thanks for the free will. I'll use it however I want. Thank you very much. And I want your job, God. I want to replace you. Matter of fact, I want my own kingdom to be in place of your kingdom. Hence, why, when I tell you what the Bible says, is that the rogue nations of the world that are creating chaos and havoc, it's demonic, it's from the devil. He's behind the scenes twisting their thinking. Well, we'll just wipe out the Jewish people. We'll we'll just engage in that thing. We'll wipe out all the Arminians. They're Christians. ISIS is not the problem. The devil's the problem. He just simply uses ISIS. He uses people. He's very, very, very wise. He is the supreme adversary. Some important intel. Was Satan actually the serpent in the garden? I believe he was. I think the Bible actually says very clearly that he was. Was he an actual serpent? Was he uh, you know, some type of a apparition? I, I really can't tell you, but I do know this. That throughout scripture, he's called that all the way to the book of Revelation. That he was a serpent, that he was sneaky, he was crafty, he was unsuspecting. I don't know how many of you, Jungle Book, you remember a caw, the talking snake? That's kind of how I envision him. It's like, ah, you know, it's just like for some reason, you kind of sit there, it's like, don't listen to him. But somehow there's something about him. It's just like, well, I kind of have to. And you remember the, the eyeballs? I, you know, crazy as it sounds, to me, that's kind of that's legit right there. It's like that's the type of thing that would happen. It's like there's, there's something captivating because nobody's going to sit around. It's like, wow, I never saw that before, a talking snake. There was something about him. Something that made you want to. It's like, oh man, I need to listen. Ooh. Started in the garden. Is Satan a real person? Or is he just kind of like the personification of evil? The same argument is often brought up for the Holy Spirit, by the way. The Holy Spirit is talked about consistently throughout Scripture as a he, it's a person. In the same way the devil is a he, he's a person. He's not a personification of evil, he's actually evil. He's legit evil. Some people don't even believe that he exists. Some some people don't believe that hell exists. The problem is they have to disagree with Jesus to believe that. Because Jesus believed in a real devil. He really had an encounter with him on the Mount of Temptation, amen? Jesus wasn't sitting around hallucinating because it was hot in the desert. The Holy Spirit took Jesus onto a high mountain, and there the devil tempted him. The devil's standing right there it's like, hey, Jesus, you're kind of hungry. Why don't you turn the stones into bread? Hey, Jesus, see all those kingdoms? All you got to do is just come in league with me. It's all yours. And each time Jesus responded with an actual response from God's word, that's not yours to give away. I already own that. He wouldn't have said that to a personification. He said it to the devil, a real being who was tempting him and testing him. The truth of the matter is, the root of all sin, hear this well, the root of all sin is failure to believe that the devil is real. You want to look at it that way. Because in order for there to be sin, it has to be against God. Amen? The only choice for being against God is for Satan. You're either for him or against him, meaning God. And so if it's against God, it's for Satan. So by very definition of sin, which is missing the mark of God's righteousness you have declared your allegiance with a real guy named Satan. And some of you are going, wow, I didn't know I did that. Well, that's because he's crafty. He's sneaky. He's wily. He he isn't going to sit there and go, hi, I'm the devil, and I'd like you to follow me. He's going to make it seem like it's the right thing. He's going to make it seem like it's your right to follow him. He's going to make it seem like you should do what he's asking you to do because it's the better way. It's the more intellectual way. In fact, it may even seem like he's telling you the more compassionate way. I mean, why would you want to keep people from marrying each other even though they're the same sex? I mean, love is love. That is the devil. Because that's not all God says about marriage. God doesn't just declare that marriage is two people having sex. Did you know that? And so when you boil a marriage relationship down to defining it by who you have sex with, which is what a homosexual does, that's why it's called homosexuality, right? Because you're defining the relationship by whom you have sex with, you're now taking a new definition and trying to apply it to what God said. Which is, and for this reason, the two shall be joined together. And what God has joined together, let no one tear asunder. Why? Because Adam was lonely. And he was not complete. And so God made for him his completion. And it wasn't somebody like him. It was somebody dissimilar to him, but of the same kind. You see, the enemy goes, wow, you know, I mean, love is love sounds compassionate, but it's actually destructive. It's never going to be what God intended it to be. And so the enemy says, oh yeah, it'll be, it'll be better. The root of that sin is unbelief. It's not trusting God. Satan is also the god of this world. How does that work? Because he has persuasive dominion over the earth. He's stimulating behind the scenes. He's manipulating conversations. He's causing people to think wrongly about other people. You know, very strange thing. When you take two people and disarm them completely, and you put them together, and you look them in the eye and say, you know what, somebody's got to die rarely will they, of their own volition, actually engage in behavior that will take someone else's life. Why? Because when it boils down to it, we each see the value that the other has. But the enemy goes, no, he's of a different race, or he's of a different ethnicity, or he or she speaks a different language, or she's a different religion, or he's a different religion, and so you need to eliminate them, because they're a threat to you. No human being is actually a threat to another human being unless they deny the creative imago Dei, the image of God that's been placed within absolutely every one of us. When you take that out, that's when people will kill each other. If I see you for who God created you, I can't help but love you like I love myself. Care for you the way I care for myself. When I see you correctly, I see me correctly. The God of this world says, no, all people aren't the same. Some people deserve more. Matter of fact, if they have something you want, you should probably take it. If some country is a threat to your way of life, wipe them out. Behind the scenes, Satan rules over unbelieving people, unbelieving minds with a false philosophy that binds your heart and blinds your mind and your eyes to seeing the truth. That's what happens. Pastor Chad, I'm sure we'll share with you some of the things that happened when he and Andre were in Liberia Rescuing child soldiers. Do you honestly think that eight, ten-year-olds pick up weapons on their own to kill each other, to kill adults, because they really feel like killing somebody? No, there's a little more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. And it's not God's plan. God versus Satan. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Why doesn't God just kill him? Why doesn't God just eliminate Satan right now? I got to admit, I've gone down that road of for peace. I've pondered that very thing a lot. Matter of fact, I almost got engaged in writing a book on that subject with a fairly well known author. And I thought, mm, there's just nothing i can going to add to that conversation. But I will tell you what, I, what conclusion I've come to, and I believe it's of the Lord. Isaiah 55 says this, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows some things that Pastor Jeff doesn't know. And one of them is, why in the world don't you just take Satan out right now and end all this stuff? I do have one thought for you. Very simple one. And I will condense it for sake of time. If the word believe or belief is to have any meaning whatsoever in the entirety of the Bible, if there is going to be any choice for you to make, If there is a difference between God and Satan, if there's any part of our relationship with God that is our responsibility, then there must be something else to choose. Otherwise, there is no choice and there is no belief. If I simply make you think a certain way, you have not believed a thing. I have forced you into a decision left you no out whatsoever. I believe that the chief reason that Satan exists in this world is he is the counter belief system to God. That he's the choice that you can make if you want to in order that your choice to serve God is actually real. I'm still trying to work on that one theologically. When I get the book done, I'll let you know. But that is what I personally believe, that the basic reason is Satan is the choice that you can make if you're not going to choose God. And here's the crazy thing, you were born already in Adam, already believing, so you actually only have to make the choice to believe in Christ. God boils it down to exactly one choice. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He doesn't give you a whole, it's not a whole theological treatise that's going to be in view there. It's do you believe that Jesus Christ, God's own son, died in your place on Calvary's cross. Gave his life for you. So that you could have eternal life. Because you don't yet already have eternal life. You have what you got in Adam. Which is a sin nature. That's why you need to be born again. Because you were already born once to sin. You need to be born twice to life. But make no doubt about it Satan is not God's equal in any measure. Not in power, certainly not in majesty, not in position. Satan is a created being, very powerful, much more powerful than you or me. But one day God is going to end his rule and reign. One day he's not going to be able to attack us anymore. That's another one when I get to heaven. Lord, I and we were talking about this very thing this morning. It's like if you ever tried to ask yourself, why does the enemy have access to our minds while we're asleep? I can't do anything. I'm asleep. I'm unconscious. And all of a sudden, <sniffs> ever wake up with night terrors? Ever wake up with a fully formed thought that was like, oh my goodness, and you wake up and it's like, oh, that wasn't real. Or, that wasn't God that planted that thought in your mind. Why? Because it induced fear. Fear is not from the Lord. Holy fear is, but not fear for your soul, not fear for your kids. That's all demonically influenced. So somehow, the devil can get in there and dabble a little bit. One day he's not going to be able to do that. But praise God, all those tests that we go through do have reasonings behind them. The sufferings that we go through have purpose. They have meaning. Matter of fact, our... Trials that we go through actually glorify God in the end, don't they? We come out and we're refined. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience and patience when it has its full work as we learned in James. leaves you complete and lacking nothing. Finished up, wrapped up, ready for heaven. Ultimately, when we're fully in the presence of the Lord. Those trials often prevent us from falling into sin. They keep us from Pride they build up our faith they cause us to grow here's one for you second corinthians chapter 1 says that your trials those things you've been through the pain you've endured are actually given to you so that you can comfort other people the devil caused the pain but what does the bible say god does with evil things uses it for good doesn't he Don't all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Even Satan's evil. Even Satan's evil ultimately is used for good. Hard to see. Hard to fathom. Hard to put together sometimes in a cogent way to where we think, oh, well, I, I see how that works now. But we have God's promise on it. That one day, every single injustice that's ever happened will be made right. 100%. Every sword will be beaten into a plowshare. The lamb will lie down with the lion. There will be no more death, no more dying, no more suffering, no more sickness. You get the picture? But in the meantime... <laughs> We got this. We have this. And so all of this has a purpose. Even though we have difficulty, even though we have pain, even though we have suffering, even though people die before we think they should, from God's perspective, Jeff, my ways are just a little above your ways. You may not see what I'm doing right now, but trust me, All things work together for the good to those who love me, God. That which the enemy intended for evil, the lesson Joseph learned at the end of the book of Genesis, even what the enemy intended for evil, God uses for good. He doesn't fail at that. Why? Because he is the superior one. He's the one that wins in the end. The devil doesn't win. The devil only thinks he's going to win. He thinks all these attacks on your life, all these why questions. Why did, you know, win? Why did Satan fall? You know, what was behind all of that? You know, when you get to heaven, you're probably not even going to care. I don't know, maybe we get there and we still have the ability to think back on some of the things during our life that aren't inherently sinful and we're going to get to answer. You know, I'm famous for going, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm not sure I'm going to care because I'm going to be in heaven. So sometimes I think the things we think here that we'll ask there probably aren't going to matter. You're going to be awful glad to be there, I can tell you that. Why? Why does Satan still have access? Pretty clearly, the book of Job declares it, that Satan actually st- stood in the presence of God. I want you to read that very carefully if you want to do something this, the, the remainder of this week. Read Job chapter 1 and 2 and look very carefully. It is God that summons the devil. It's not the other way around. It isn't like the devil just kind of barged into the, the scene. It's like, I'm here. Everybody, bow down. No, God inquired of him, Where have you been? Well, I've been going to and fro on the earth, wreaking havoc. Interesting what God says. Have you considered my servant Job? And the word considered there in the Hebrew language means to inspect carefully. It isn't just like a thought process. It's like, did you actually check out Job's life? Did you watch every aspect of it? Because from heaven's perspective, there's not a single person on earth that's as righteous as my servant Job. God's bragging on Job. Job's rocking it. Like, Job's like, he's my man. What does Satan do? Where did we start? Oh, Job. If you take away his stuff, he'll turn his back on you. It'll be a New York second. Job will diss you like nobody's business. All you got to do is take away his stuff. And for the glory of God, because God knew what Job would do. God says, Satan, you go for it. Read the end of the book of Job. Everything that Job ever had was returned to him tenfold. And in all of these things, Job did not falsely accuse God. Bad as his attitude was at times. I'm sure when he was sitting in the city dump scraping his boils with pieces of pottery, he was probably not going, Man, this is awesome. Cannot wait. No, I'm sure he had his moments. But it is never sin. Church, we fight a real enemy. And he really wants to hurt you. And if you're really not ready for those attacks, if you don't understand his tactics, you can be caught off guard. And instead of being victorious like Job, you might potentially be blindsided. And so I'll challenge you to read the rest of this chapter, lady. You're going to get to it as you get to the end of the book of Ephesians, so you don't necessarily need to read ahead. But it says here, put on the armor of God. It's going to go on to say to put on the full armor of God. It's going to tell you what that armor looks like. And there's one piece that I want to highlight as we close. Very simple statement. It says, above all, take up the shield of faith. The one very mobile piece in all of this that is fully your faith in God is the shield of faith, whereby you were able to extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. In other words, when the enemy shoots at you, you can put faith wherever it needs to go. The shield of faith wasn't a stationary piece. It wasn't like the breastplate of righteousness. That guards your heart, and that's all it guards, internal organs. Basically, here's your soul, Make sure that the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness, is over your heart. But the shield of faith could go over the breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith could go over the helmet of salvation. The shield of faith could guard your sword. The shield of faith could be on your backside. It could be on your front side. It could be above you, beside you. The shield of faith can go anywhere you need it to go. And that faith is not faith in faith. That faith is faith in the king. His power, his ability. You're facing a real enemy. Armor up and make sure you have your shield of faith all day, every day. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, we'll close in prayer. Have some of the pastors come up, maybe you've got, got some warfare going on, you need to pray for it, pray against it, pray for some new weapons, we'll have some pastors up front for that. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for those multitudes of times when the battle has belonged to you and it's been victorious, not because of me, because of you. Not because we're such a mighty army, but because of you. And Lord, I pray if there's someone that came in tonight that doesn't know you, God, they haven't admitted their own need for a Savior, they, they thought that perhaps they already had it just simply because they've been coming to church for a while, God, you have declared that unless you're born again, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. That requires commitment, a personal commitment of resting and trusting in you, inviting you to be Savior and Lord. So, God, we pray for that right now, and we ask that you would move by your Spirit amongst the hearts of the people in this room and those watching online. Your Word says that if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, died on that cross and were raised from the dead, that we will be saved. Lord, I believe that. And I believe one day I'm going to stand in your presence because of it. So, Lord, we pray for those that might need you tonight. Save the lost. And we pray for those that are weary and heavy laden. And you want to give them rest tonight, Lord. Rest for their souls. They're weary from the battle. The enemy has been decisive. He's been winning. They haven't fought the right enemy. Maybe they're fighting a spouse tonight. And you want to set them free in their marriage. Lord, I pray that they would come and be prayed for, be healed. Lord, I believe there are people here who are fighting the the fight and they think it's their children. I pray that they would lift those children before your throne of grace and commit them into your hands and recognize that you have a plan for their lives. Lord, for our nation. Lord, for our country. For our city, Lord, we're tired of wearing masks. We're sick of it. Kill this virus, God. We believe the enemy intended it for evil. And so, God, we ask that you deliver us. And we pray for those that have been fighting the good fight in the hospitals. Lord, for those that serve us as police officers. Lord, for those that have been disadvantaged and disenfranchised and cast aside. Lord, for the homeless. Those that have been affected by racism. God, you're the answer to all these things. Help us to not fight each other any longer, Lord. Help us to fight the good fight of faith. Free us, Lord, from ourselves, from the bondage of the wicked one. Lord, shield us by faith. Fill us with your spirit. Make us a mighty army. Army. Lord, we love you. We thank you that the battle, as Joshua already knew, belongs to you. And so for us, we want to be strong and courageous for the Lord our God is with us. Help us to live lives of courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.